Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake, I'm a little confused. Yesterday I'm seeing all these... I think last night we heard it on Trackside. You know, live from Palm Springs, IndyCar Media Day. What the hell are you doing in Indy? This weather sucks. It's content day, Kevin. Oh, not media day is not the right phrase? It's content day. Gosh, now you really sound like a millennial. And then, and then there's a test in Palm Springs. Algebra? Yeah. no. We're all no, going to figure out be, this math problem. <laughs> let me tell you, the, the, the gap between here and Palm Springs is half the difference between the gap between me and the comprehension fully of algebra. <laughs> Even Palm still. Springs. Maddie and I did an uh, anniversary trip out there a couple of years ago. It's great. Small airport, but it's a fun time. It's, it's, Palm Springs is kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? Correct. Yeah, definitely in the middle of nowhere. We actually drove from Palm Springs to San Diego. Um, so we did two nights in Palm Springs, two nights in San Diego. I couldn't recommend it more. But again, I'm thinking to myself, that's a hell of a place for a media day, content day. I agree. I I saw they were, you know, they, they did a lot of stuff. That the I always wonder how much media they get out there, though, right? Yeah, that was a question I had. Uh, Kevin Lee was broadcasting from out there last night, and I think Nathan Brown from the Star, and some usual suspects there, but... What are we, a month away? Yeah, I talked to Mark James last night because he was doing some stuff. Oh, yeah, for James day. out there, of course. And well, he was, and you know, he was saying, Jake, we're, we're on track in like a month. I'm like, I know. You know, it comes up, comes up quickly for sure. But I, And to add insult to that injury, it was 12 degrees this morning on the way in. Oh, yeah. I mean, our anniversary is mid-February, so we went out there like exactly, you know, this time a couple years ago. And it was the perfect time to get the hell out of here. If you want to talk about on track, I would not say that was Indiana last night. They Jalen Hood Shafina was off track. Yeah, I had an IU fan text me. Is Jalen Hood Shafina throwing the game? I mean, he was 0 for 11 at one point. Jake, he was horrific. 1 for 14 was the final tally there um, in Maryland. You know, hearing those Kevin Willard comments yesterday, it got me thinking a little bit, Jake, to our conversation after the Minnesota game. Remember the Minnesota game? IU survives it. Right. Trace Jackson Davis, the offensive rebound put back. And you could react to that game in one of two ways. You could say, it's a road win in the Big Ten, and we're never going to talk about it again. Or you could sit here and say, wow, Minnesota, Minnesota just zoned Indiana for 40 minutes, super committed to that, and how IU reacts to that is going to be a Big Ten storyline for the rest of the season. And I think Kevin Willard, we heard the comments yesterday, I mean, gushing about Trace Jackson Davis to the nth degree. He looked at Minnesota's blueprint and said, you know what? And Maryland plays some zone, but we're going to be very committed to playing a little bit of a, a little bit of a press, too. Right, I they did press him. Yeah, it did. Hood Shafino, not, not to the degree of like tons and turnovers, but it just slowed Indiana down. Then once Indiana got in the half court, Maryland falls back into that zone, and things were an issue all night long. 66-55, the final tally there. Uh, Maryland beats Indiana. IU's five-game win streak is over. As Jake said, Hood Shafino was terrible, 1-14 of at Trace Jackson Davis. 18-20, and 20, but the support for Trace, not there. The... The thing that I noticed, and I'm I'm curious 
to talk to Dane Fife about this coming up later in the show, who's going to join us today. And by the way, good morning to you. On a Wednesday, it is cold outside, but it's clear. That's the good news. But it's a little chilly, so plan on uh, getting a little extra jolt when you go out to the car this morning. Uh, that's Kevin Bowen. I'm Jake Query. Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Query on a Wednesday. The thing that I noticed, Kevin, is that we've talked a lot about – and. For Indiana to win college basketball games, their job is not to get Trace Jackson Davis or any other player ready for the NBA. I know that that's, that sounds weird to say because getting players to the NBA is part of your selling feature in recruiting and everything else. But when it comes to winning games, you are coming up with game plans that help you win college basketball games. You're not saying, hey, let's design... X, Y, and Z in order to appeal to NBA teams, right? But you are hopeful that a player has progression throughout the course of his career to become an NBA-level player. Trace Jackson Davis is a tremendous talent and has played his way at this point into the conversation of late first-round pick probably. But the knock on him or the thing that we've talked about in his NBA prospects, I thought were... Last night, you really saw them because what Maryland did was they got him. He is so quick around the basket, but as soon as you get him just outside of the paint and you double him, he doesn't necessarily have the first step lateral quickness or the pull-up to get himself into position. And he was kind of forcing shots that were going over the other side and Ray Thompson was there to clean it up for him. But it just looked like and and this this is crazy to say, especially for a guy that had an, and people are probably going to kill me for it because he had I and mean, the guy had the the Maryland Fieldhouse record for rebounds in a game last night. He is a wonderful player, but he did struggle once he got they got physical with him ten feet out of the basket. He just he just did. I mean, I, he, I, he got out of rhythm. I think the issues are so much more perimeter based from last night than. Well, trips. they absolutely are. Obviously, in the fact that you get somebody knocking down shots, that's not an issue. They were able to collapse on him. Is my point because there was nobody else doing anything. So yes, I mean, but what I'm saying. So my comments are not exclusive of one another, or they are. You know, you know what I'm saying. He. Yes, they should have had some perimeter help for him, but my point being, in a microcosm, if you were looking at reasons why he is not a lottery pick, those were the reasons why. You know, I remember looking up last night, and to your point, Jake, you know, Trace had those touches early in the second half, you know, a couple of air balls, and Race Thompson kind of cleaned him up, and, you know, Indiana, I thought, did a really nice job early in the second half of drawing fouls. Um, I remember looking up, I think it was like just over 13 minutes to go in the game and saying to myself, wow, Indiana's in the bonus the rest of the way. And I don't know if there's like any stats that you look at, Jake, or you think of during a game, but that's always one that I really watch. I'm like, I always feel really good and insert your joke about Notre Dame basketball here, but Notre Dame basketball has always been a great foul shooting team. So I always am like just itching for them to get that seventh foul on their opponent or their seventh foul for the opponent called on them so then Notre Dame would be in the bonus because then I'm like calm right I'm like you know what hey as long as they get fouled a couple times they'll go to the foul line and you know everything will be stymied and it'll be fine and it's very rare for a Big Ten team on the road to get into the bonus with that much time left 13 minutes to go and I was looking at it this morning they shot one free throw the rest of the way 
the final 13 minutes of the game, they shot one free throw. And I would guess you would have certainly a loud section of the fan base, Jake, that would scream about that is a Big Ten road whistle for you. Okay, but for the first six minutes of the second half, you did something to draw six fouls on Maryland. And I just thought you saw a lack of a commitment to get into the paint, consistent post-touches. I mean, hell, not even for Trace, but even for for, for Race Thompson. And I thought that was a big issue. Because when you're struggling from the perimeter, you're struggling to create easy baskets. The fact that you were at the foul line, potentially, for the final 13 minutes of the game and weren't able to take advantage of that, I thought that was a huge deal. Um, The question that you have going into Saturday, and again, I get the personnel is different, but Matt Painter's never been a big zone guy. Matt Painter's never right. been a big press guy. You know, when does this become the, hey, here's the IU blueprint, every Big Ten team? Or is this going to be kind of a, we sometimes see it, we sometimes don't see it? I, I'm fascinated to see how Big Ten teams will react to Indiana the rest of the way. Um, it's It looks as though now for the Colts head coaching search, whoever they want, they're going to have their pick, right? Like everybody's kind of off the board. Yeah, I think there might be like one or two overlap candidates in Arizona, but for the most part, yeah, um, everybody is off the board. Sean Payton to Denver yesterday, D'Amico Ryans uh, to Houston, uh, obviously Frank Reich to Carolina, so that leaves just the openings with the Cardinals and the Colts. I want to say Brian Callahan, who reportedly will interview with the Colts today, and then I think it's Arizona tomorrow, so he would be the one that has some interest there. I, I want to say Jero Evero. Is a candidate in both spots. You know, I saw a lot of people saying, hey, domino effect, domino effect. You know, three of the five openings are now there. As much as I wanted the Colts to pursue D'Amico Ryans, I get why D'Amico Ryans is going to the Houston Texans. He played for that franchise for a long oh, yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, he's known as probably one of the more beloved players in franchise history. I want to say his wife is from Houston. The compensation for Sean Payton was never realistic. And again, Frank Reich, of course, you're not going to hire him. Where I have the question, Jake, of do the Colts have any sense of urgency is do we see some of the assistant coaches start to dry up? You know, these guys building their staffs, do the Colts feel any sort of urgency? I don't think they will, but that would be a question that I would have is like, hey, if you're the offensive coordinator candidate and D'Amico Ryans wants you in San Francisco or Raheem Morris wants you in Indy, you might hop on with D'Amico Ryans and not wait for the Indy job to get filled. That would be the question that I have. The I did hear yesterday, and I mean this is not original thought by any stretch, but I, but I hear it again. Even though when I I feel like it, it felt like this was starting to kind of wane, but that there is still thought within the building. I'm not saying with Chris Ballard, but within the building, probably Jim Mersey and, and a few others that they do really believe in a lot of attributes of Jeff Saturday, but they believe that it would he would need very strong coordinators. And that that's, you know, maybe maybe Saturday needs to come back with or counter, give them another pitch with a different list of coordinators or established coordinators than names that would be like Jeff Saturday, kind of outside the box. Yeah, I mean, Jake, what have I said for the last two weeks? I'm fascinated to see what a Saturday staff would look like. Right. I have no idea. I mean, you know, Clyde Christensen retired from the NFL about a week and a half ago. He's a name that I'm like, you know what? Would he be on the staff? You know, there's just not a lot of direct ties um, for Saturday. What do you make of that Sean Payton compensation? Uh, you know, first and second rounder 
from Denver to New Orleans, Denver gets a third rounder back. I mean, I think that's about what I mean. First and second is pretty steep, it would seem. But the other thing that I I was less reactionary, for lack of a better phrase, about the compensation is is the fact that like they kind of like yo-yoed back and forth who they wanted. You know what I mean? Like supposedly they went after Hart. Like now it's yeah. starting to come out. Was Sean Payton even really their first choice? Well, then you had Schefter and Rappaport going at each other yesterday. Right. Uh, Rappaport reported that D'Amico Ryans, they made a last-ditch effort to him yesterday. Schefter was very adamant that Denver did not pursue D'Amico Ryans at the final hour. Um, boy, is Denver all in or what? I mean, think about how much they've given up for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. I'm telling you, though, Denver... And it's a new ownership group that comes from a ton of money, and you know that they, they're looking at it like, we've got to make a splash. Because Nathaniel Hackett just blew up. And I you're mean, hoping that Sean Payton can fix Russell Wilson from last year, so you're putting your all chips in that oh, Sean I mean, Payton you, is that's a quarterback the guru. Yeah, you are not dr- drafting some young quarterback. Right. You just traded your first and second rounder. Well, that's the thing. is When is... And what did they give up for... In total, they've given up three first-round yeah. picks and, I believe, three seconds for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. It doesn't surprise me the Broncos are all in on things for two reasons. Number one, new ownership, as we talked about. But number two, I'm just telling you, if you've ever been to Denver, I mean, the Broncos are in Denver what IU basketball, the Colts, Reggie Miller, and the Indy 500 are here combined. Like they are everything in color in Denver, everything. It's it's just a different. It's a totally different level. They're not leading off with Rockies pitchers and catchers reporting to camp. <laughs> no, they are leading off with which Broncos players were spotted at the airport when they saw the pitchers and catchers leaving. And how many Coors Lights were they drinking? You know, Coors Light there in Golden, Colorado. It's made with mountain water, Kevin, and they have to bring it east in the Mississippi in cooled trucks. That's why it's so hard to get. That was the narrative in like 1990. Look at the mountains. I've always said they're Microsoft Word blue. <laughs> I'm telling you, like back in the day, it was like, oh, Coors, man, you can only you can only get it west of the Rockies because it has to be chilled the entire time. Yeah, okay. Marketing I, 101. I mentioned this to you yesterday, but now that the D'Amico Ryans to Houston thing is official, I don't recall looking at the entire AFC South and saying, wow. There's hope there. Wow. There's some hope there. Like, there is legit... I mean, if you look at pillars of an organization, Jake, and I don't know, again, that's kind of a cliche term to use, but I would say head coach and quarterback are pretty close to the top of the list in terms of pillars of the organization. Okay, well, let's say say the Texans, whatever, Bryce Young. Let's give them Bryce Young. If you look at the Texans, Titans, and Jags, and you take the quarterback and head coach combination of those three teams, that would mean six individuals. I would say you feel very good if you're those teams, about five of those six. I'd say you feel very good about the three head coaches in each stop, Ryans, Vrabel, and Doug Peterson. Right. And in terms of quarterbacks, Bryce Young and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And maybe it's you know obviously premature probably Boy. to slot Bryce Young there, but... Outside of Tennessee's quarterback, and Malik Willis, I think, needs a lot of development. But when's the last time, Jake, you have, as a Colts fan, you've looked at the AFC South and said, quarterback and head coach in the other three stops, you feel good about five of the six of them? 
Or when's the last time as a Colts fan you looked at it? Now this goes way back. When's the last time as a Colts fan you looked at it and said, in this division they are last in those t- in the the combined score of those two pillars? Yep, that's another way to look at it. I mean, it's been a long time. It's and, an interesting time for this division. But given the fact that you haven't won a division in eight years, I probably shouldn't be too surprised. Everybody's won it twice since you won it last. I mean, uh, Frank, that just hurts. Oh, hurts. Frank Reich had his press conference yesterday down in Carolina. Um, he had a couple of Colts-related comments. Nate Atkins from the Star going to join us around 8.30. There was something that Reich mentioned that I think just kind of summarizes the biggest issue for Indy last year. He repeated it quite often yesterday. Basically, it was just an inability to get the ball down the field. Obviously, there's a ton of factors that play into that. Offensive line, quarterback, wide receiver personnel, etc. But Jake, that to me was like... That was the aspect of the Colts that I think hurt them the most. Because in a way, you just never threatened an opposing defense. And if you want to make a basketball analogy, it would be like not needing to go outside of the paint to guard somebody. Right. I, I don't need to come out there. Like, And if you're a cornerback... So it's like guarding Indiana. Sure. Last <laughs> night especially. Yeah. Uh, even Jalen Huchifino after what he did on Saturday night against Ohio State. Um, no team just felt threatened by the Colts offense. And in today's NFL, if you don't put that threat into a defense, oh, they're just going to suffocate you. And that's exactly what happened to the Colts offensively last year. So did you do anything uh, fun last night besides watch Indiana and Maryland, which was a late game? Uh, my wife went out with some girlfriends for dinner. So I was with Rosie and Max and just kind of hung with them. And did you eat hot dogs and mac and cheese? That's we, kind of the dad role, isn't it? We made tacos. <laughs> Rosie loves making tacos. Okay. We made tacos. Uh, big fan. And uh, yeah, Max took his bottle well and went down and... I think everybody's still alive. <laughs> well, that's Mark. That's an upshot, isn't it? When you're alone with the kids that's and everybody's still positive. alive. Oh, you can, that's got to be at the top of the goal list, right? That's right. the checklist for the next day. Uh, but yeah, that was about it. I, I almost fell asleep before the IU game. Luckily, yeah. made it through that, that, those nine o'clock tips. It, I know I've ranted about this before, Jake, but when we've got these nine o'clock tips, how have we not created a button in the bottom right hand corner that says, "I would like to flip to that game." I don't need to watch Texas A&M and Arkansas go to the yes. monitor 19 times. Right. I, I'm still yeah, because watching they didn't, your Indiana, channel. They didn't flip over to Indiana-Maryland until, what, like 17 after or something. I right. mean, it was a while. Why doesn't the button, right-hand corner, if you would like to watch Indy, and again, you know, go to your ESPN app, whoop-de-doo, I'm a little old school. I, I, I don't want to do all that. I just, I'm going to stay on your channel, let me click that button, and let me get to the game that I want to watch. I don't need to watch Buzz Williams I saw... Kind of like Buzz Williams, by the way. He's an interesting-looking fellow, isn't he? He looks like his name would be Buzz. You know, he... You know what I mean? From his Marquette days to Virginia Tech, I've seen a lot of him play in Notre Dame, and he is an interesting fellow. That's a good way to describe it. But social media is a funny thing now because you're able in real time to know what people are up to. I, I did see an increased number of people. Maybe this is just the fact that... You know, people are getting older. We've been on social media for a long time, but people that were like, "Look, I I can't hang with this. Like, it's ten thirty. I got to go to bed. I'm too tired." And I'm like, "Too tired? I got to do a radio show at seven. Come on now, <laughs> stay with us." I don't think everyone's sliding a little nap in midday. 
I can't today. I got to go read to kids at Jeremiah Gray Elementary School. Uh, Uncle Jake's falling asleep here with the Bernstein Bears book. <laughs> what are you reading to them today? Excellent question, Mark. Thank you. They asked me. Polls. It's um, it's National Reading Day, I think, or you know, uh, something February first, like National Reading Day, I, something like that. Yeah. So they said I got an email. Would you like to come out to Jeremiah Gray? And I, I mean, Jeremy Gray. I know him. I've known him for a long time. Great voice. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, so. I'm going to this elementary school, and they said, well, you're going to be reading to third graders. Great. Wonderful. I'll bring uh, my copy of Fifty Shades of Gray. Well, they said, what would you like to bring to read? They said, you can read your favorite book. Oh, God. I think they're not Archie aware. Comics that, is a book? Well, that's one of the biggest <laughs> mistakes they could make. Kids, we're going to read Slaughterhouse-Five. Really? Did we know it was going to be... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you this cold did i did i miss this i thought this week there was are weather to be. apps on your phone that kind of give you a heads up <laughs> well, this week was supposed to be a little chillier 11 degrees i'm surprised you aren't worrying about the iu students camping out for the purdue game yet oh boy are they doing that well, i would assume right i don't i'm telling you by the way all sun tomorrow and friday baby even though it's supposed to be subarctic i 41 tomorrow that's not bad It'll toughen those kids up for camping out. Dane Fife going to join us at 9 o'clock, 8.30. Nate Atkins get more into the Colts head coaching search. Just two openings left after yesterday. We saw Sean Payton to Denver and D'Amico Ryans to Houston. So it would be Indianapolis and Arizona still left. Brian Callahan, Bengals OC. That is the reported interview for today. And Jake, if that goes through, that would be seven names. That was the original number expected for second interviews. And at that point, you know, I think you start to think about, are we nearing some finality with this search? The fact that you've had right. seven second interviews, Jim Ursay much more involved now this time around. I'll continue to reiterate what I've said. With Ursa, you never truly know, but I do think some things on Jeff Saturday have cooled a bit. Callahan's a name that I've liked a lot through this process. Certainly the question that you have is he does not call plays in um, Cincinnati. I kind of like the fact that he's the son of an NFL head coach. Um, I feel like being around that, you have an understanding of what it takes and just the commitment that it takes. But then I also like, Jake, that he's kind of a new-age guy. He hasn't necessarily coached with his dad a whole lot right. in recent years. So I kind of like the mix of that. Of He's grown up in it. He understands that. But at the same time, you look at his background, and it's been pretty kind of new-age innovation. And obviously, the quarterbacks he's been with speaks for itself. Do you remember when, well, the last two coaching hires for the Colts and I'm going with Josh McDaniels. I'm not going with Frank Reich, which kind of became like the automatic. If you recall, when Josh McDaniels backed out, then it was like, well, that means they've got to go to their safety, which is Frank Reich. You know, like he was the natural, boy, they should have gone with this guy all along. You know, that's that's who they go to. He's got familiarity, da-da-da-da-da. 
But McDaniels and Pagano both, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, because I very well may be, but it seems as though those were kind of like last second horses that came hard out of turn four, and it was like, whoa, wait a minute. I'd say Pagano definitely, McDaniels no. Well, McDaniels was a name that we knew, but was he like thought of as the front runner from the get go? I can't recall. I don't know if publicly it was, but again, that was always in Chris Ballard's eyes. I and mean, we heard Ballard a couple weeks ago say, "I had an end in sight going into that 2018 search." The thought was Andrew Luck, Josh McDaniels. Boom, right. boom, boom. That, that that was the thought from day one. Pagano, and you know, he shared this with us a couple weeks back. He hadn't heard from the Colts until the Monday after the AFC Championship game. I mean, he thought they were going to the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, Baltimore was right on the cusp of it, losing in Foxborough. And remember, Pagano was a first-year coordinator. So he wasn't used to this cycle. He hadn't done, you know, the coaching, touring, hiring, interviewing, whatever. He hadn't done that for several years. The other finalists besides Chuck in 2012, and this will make Mark just Skin crawl. Mark Tressman. I remember that. I, that was the one. Where is Mark Tressman, Mark Dykton? Where is he now? I have no idea. The CFL I would say he's the offensive coordinator for the Montreal Alouettes. Got heavy uh, yeah, CFL he's, cur- he's currently the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes. Look at that. Jake's CFL knowledge. Come on. You want to talk about that? Like, I'm done for the day. Who's this quarterback? Chad Kelly? I don't know, but he is the he is the Josh Johnson of head coaches. You ever look at his resume? It's wild how many teams he's been is on. Is that how you lead off an interview? I feel like I'm the Josh Johnson of head coaches. This Fire is, up some Johnny Cash, man. This is an interesting question from Chris. I'm glad he threw this out here. Why does the fact that Brian Callahan not get dinged for calling plays, but Eric Bieniemy does? The difference for me in Callahan and Bieniemy, and why I've had Callahan a little bit higher on the list than Bieniemy. Jake, Eric Bieniemy is an offensive coordinator, but as you know, Eric Bieniemy played what position in college? Running back, right? That's kind of been his primary position that he's coached in the NFL. He hasn't really had a lot of quarterback-centric stuff. That is where Brian Callahan, to me, I think quarterback, again, it goes without saying, but worth repeating, I guess, that background to me is so important, and you've got to have that connection there. You have to develop this young QB. The fact that Callahan has worked with, again, Peyton and Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr and now Joe Burrow, that to me is a little bit more, it's just the the position that matters more. So I think that's what separates it for me. I, you obviously have questions about both. And you know, in a similar way with bien it's like how much is that Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes? You could ask the same question about Callahan. How much is it Zach Taylor? And Joe Burrow and even some of those weapons. But I think I think the fact that Callahan has more of a quarterback-centric background, considering that's the, the position that needs so much attention here in Indianapolis and is the position that matters far more than running back, I think that is why I've got Callahan a little bit higher. Because the reason I mentioned in, in terms of coaches that are like late names that are bubbled up, Callahan is one that I think about midway through we started hearing more about. But the guy that to me is becoming increasingly intriguing because I didn't know a lot about him, admittedly. I don't know him as a person, obviously. But in reading about Rich Basaccia, 
he has a likability about him. Ah, so you like the leader of men now. No, I, I think he... First off, the phrase leader of men, I just think is... I, I've gone over that. It's better than the Josh Johnson of head coaches. Well, that's true. But if you look at what he did, I, I just think that he's been in difficult situations and made the best out of it. Boy, that's an understatement with the Raiders. And I think he's intriguing. Let me read you this text I got from... He's 62 years old, so he's not necessarily like the young, you know what I mean, but... He, he has been a little of everywhere. I mean, Green Bay, the Raiders, college, the Cowboys. He's been kind of all over the place. It's a text from somebody that's worked with Rich. Rich Bisacci is the best can, candidate on that list. It's not even close. He's a true leader of men. See, everybody says this now. When did this phrase come about? Like a year, I'd never heard the phrase leader of men until like a year ago. Now everybody's a leader of men. You know who else likes Rich Bisacci? Aaron Rodgers. Don't do it. So Rich Bisaccio with, with the Raiders uh, two years ago. Interim coach. Jake mentioned it. Thrown into a beyond chaotic situation. John Gruden resigning. So many off the field incidents. Tragic off the field incidents. Uh, Raiders go 7-5 and five under Bisaccio as the interim. They win their final four games. They go to the playoffs. He is not hired there permanently. They go Josh McDaniels. He goes to Green Bay last year. So he's been in Green Bay for one year. This was Aaron Rodgers yesterday with Pat McAfee on Rich Passaccio. Well, if anyone ever called me as a reference, one name that uh, has been floating around out there who I would give a ringing endorsement to is Rich Passaccio. I'm a, I'm a tremendous, tremendous fan of his. Uh, he is a prototypical leader who wants to be respected more than he's liked. And I think that, from the starting point, creates an accountability in whatever room you're controlling, whether that's the entire room, or a position room, or a, you know a phase of the game like offense, defense, and teams. And you throw in there an incredible ability to control the room with his speech. Very thoughtful individual, very sharp, and then the love that he brings as well. I think it's just such a perfect combo. So you have the accountability. You have the respect factor. You have the expectations. You have the ability to control the room. And then you have uh, someone who shows you constantly how much he cares about you and loves you and tells you. And it's real because he's already led with the accountability and the respect. Um, he changed He changed uh, that phase of our team for sure. So that's Aaron Rodgers on Rich Bisaccia, who was the special teams coordinator, or is the special teams coordinator in Green Bay. And again, we're, only one year. We're not even going to get into the wrinkle of Aaron Rodgers supposedly could be on the trading block, and Indianapolis's name has been linked to that. We won't go there. But one of the things I think that's interesting about him as well, and Aaron Rodgers touched on it a little bit there, but to go back to this, Kevin, which we have mentioned really at the beginning of this process – if you're looking at coordinators, I think a lot of times you you look at special teams coordinator and you have a natural tendency to go, well, special teams, I mean, that's like for the guys that you know aren't starting linebackers that are rookies or whatever else. Special teams coordinators oftentimes are, are it's a really good barometer of overall coaching because 
you're kind of dealing with the potpourri, if you yeah. will, of the roster. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting guys from multiple Big guys, positions. small guys, Correct. both sides of the ball. And in addition to that, special teams is where you round out your roster. Mm-hmm. So on Thursday, when there are last-minute changes to the roster or a guy needs to be released or waived in order to make room for another position, so the the – the last two or three guys on a special teams are kind of always rotating. So special teams coordinator is a guy that has to be really good at adapting on the fly. I would say in-game, too. Think about and it. The, Any injury correct. impacts you. Correct. And and one of the things I think that sometimes you see as being hard, like Chuck Pagano, you know, was I think he would tell you one of the things that was the hardest for him once he became a head coach was just everything that's flying past you. And I think a special teams coordinator has a pretty good – pulse on how to handle that yeah you think about michael Pittman gets hurt in a game on sunday okay if you're reggie wayne you're saying all right i need ashton doolin more on offense well then that means bubba ventrone might lose him a little bit on special teams within a game Um, when you've seen frank reich over the last handful of years in indy you know covid you know family matter you know leave it's been bubba ventrone as the interim so i think that is the appeal special teams wise i think it's worth pointing out on basaccia he worked with Rod Marinelli with the Raiders. I think Marinelli is a somewhat popular name around the NFL, longtime assistant, been with Chicago. He is a extremely respected confidant of Chris Ballard. Extremely respected. The reason why Matt Eberflus was the Colts defensive coordinator had a large, large part to do with Rod Marinelli's relationship with Chris Ballard. I point that out to say again, Marinelli with the Raiders on that staff as everything unfolded last year. Basaccia, of course, became the interim. Um, so you would you would have a connection right there of Chris Ballard having an re- extremely respected friend. Watch Basaccia handle that, lead them to the playoffs. And honestly, Jake, they could have easily beat Cincinnati in the first round of the playoffs last year. It's probably a game we don't think about a whole lot, but I think it was like 19-16. Raiders had a chance to beat the Bengals and upset them. In sits in Cincy. Um, to your point, you look at present day or you look at past history. I believe Marv Levy had a heavy special teams background. John Harbaugh in today's NFL has a heavy special teams background. Um, it like this whole debate: offensive side leader, offensive side leader. I get that there's so much evidence that points to offense, and that's probably where I side. But the only reason Jeff Saturday is on this Colts list is because they love him as a leader. That matters for Chris Bauer and Jim Mercy. So I do think it's things that we have to keep in mind in trying to think what do the Colts... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Of it in these candidates. Now, Jake, uh, we have a boycott that's about to end. I've, is that what? I was unaware of the boycott from the get-go. I, Story of my life. I feel a little out of the loop, and it sounds like you are as well. You're telling me. I'll just head down to Qdoba. You guys can chat it up. Well, our next guest, an icon in many 
walks of life. He is the one and only Dane Fife. He joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Dane, I, I'm unaware of this. Uh, I, I say I'm unaware, but I'm a fan of it. A, a jQuery boycott sounds like heaven, frankly. Um, tell me more about this. Well, it's, first of all, such such an icon. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> Kevin, an icon. You called me. Did you call me an icon? Well, literally, last time that we chatted, you brought up Fluff Cowan. Anytime you bring up Fluff okay. Cowan to me, you're going to be labeled an icon. Fellas, I'm sitting here on my couch. I got beat up. I'm looking at the classified ads, trying to find a job. Um, I'm not sure if that's iconic, but what is iconic was my 20 year boycott of Mr. Query. Uh, Jake, you didn't know it. Um, I didn't really know it until Mark and I conjured it up here uh, when I texted back and forth with him <laughs> yesterday. Uh, we were trying to figure out a way how I could avoid uh, talking to you throughout the the interview. Um, I think Mark chickened out, though. I guess I did, too. Just as a joke. It was no boycott. Well, I mean, it's been a while since I've talked to you, so I thought, well, maybe there was a boycott. Although we did text back and forth at one point, you know what I mean? Yeah, we did. We, uh, yeah, well, that's not technically, you know. Speaking, that's not speaking. That is correct. Yeah. Well, it's nice to speak with you. I'd like to know this, uh, yeah. since since you've you're looking for jobs in the question. Yeah, this is my first question. Well, my first question was, was I, was there really a boycott? And so now we've cleared that air. Uh, I'd like to know if you find yourself this morning while you are looking for a job in the classifieds, do you find yourself more upset that Tom Brady now is done with his job or that Ozzy Osbourne is done with his job? Wow. I was bracing myself for, something a lot less intense than that that's not a very good icebreaker jake talk about the hard hitters on this wednesday morning yeah, here i'm I, a football guy are you purdue I, week I love, you gotta go there yeah that's true i i love football so it's uh it's, it's a tough one and brady's you know about our age jake and i think he's a little younger than you a little older than me uh but um and I was a Michigan guy growing up, Michigan football through and through, uh, until I went and worked for Sparty for ten years. But uh, Brady was Brady was a guy that uh, during my my era of love with Michigan football, uh, I, I uh, had a lot of a lot of respect, rooted for him with some with some vigor and uh it's it's a tough one it's a tough one to were see you, tb go i call him tb i don't know tough why one. i was thinking this were you a mr were you mr football in the state of michigan am i way off base with that uh, no i don't think you're off base i'm not sure they had mr football but that was drew henson you know he he's the one that i think started over tom brady that's why tom brady's bitter party of one there still um but i think drew henson was my same grade, and he started over Brady, I believe, at Michigan for a, for a year or two. Staying five, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, looking at the classified section and also multitasking by joining us here on this Wednesday morning. Uh, Dane, uh, what was your record against Purdue as a player? Oh gosh, why? I I think it was uh, I think it was even. No, no, four and two, four and two. We split the first year, split the second year, and then I believe the following two years were just home and home, or just a single game. We beat them there and beat them at home. Uh, we only had one game per year. 
When, I believe when, that's the way it worked. When you were a player and or on Mike Woodson's staff, was there any sort of this one means more, we're going to put more into the scouting report, blah, 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 or was it simply just, hey, when you're in the Big Ten schedule, you just take these games as they show up on the schedule and move on to the next one? Well, I can tell you as a player, uh, <laughs> we uh, we got beat at home by freshman year, and you know my ego was massive at that time, Jake. Please don't comment. Um, <laughs> Jake can probably share in that sentiment. That's right. Yeah. Well, I guess they're both pretty massive uh, currently as well. I'm speaking on mine and yours, Jake. Our, our egos. Our egos. Healthy. They're healthy, uh, Dane. Easy now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my freshman year, though, and I'll try to be quick with this, is um, we we beat them at we won at Purdue, but then we came home and we lost. Jerron Cornell hit a three. I'm pretty sure it was my, could have been my sophomore, but I'm pretty sure it was my freshman year. And I'd played well throughout the game. And then, and then I came out probably foul trouble, uh, towards the end of the game. And it was a tight game. We were either down one, it could have been tied. Uh, but Purdue had the last shot. So we come out of a timeout and they run a stagger for Jerron Cornell. I'm not in the game. And Jerron, Cornell came off and hit the three and won, and they won the game. So the next day, Coach Knight um, called us in at five thirty practice, and we were playing. and And I was just, I was mad because we were up early. I was mad because I didn't play, and my ego got in the way. And I decided I was, I wasn't going to boycott Jake, but I was going to protest. So I right. was kind of being a jerk and moving slow and trying to draw attention to myself because I felt like. Uh, I felt like um, Coach Knight lost the game. So, just one thing led to another. Coach Knight called me over and said, what the heck is – I'm fixing words here, but mm-hmm. what, what, what is your problem? I said, you? He goes, what did I do? He said, Coach Knight. I said, well, you blew the game. You lost the game because you didn't have me in the game. To stop Cornell, you know I should have been in the game. And he just kind of looked at me with his hands, kind of, you know, open palms, kind of looking at me like, this guy, this guy here. And just kind of kind of walked away from me. He thought, ah, there's no hope for this young man. But that was the uh, morning, 5.30 in the morning. You had young freshmen blaming, blaming the coach for, for losing the game. See, I would think he would love that, though. Honestly, I, I don't. I didn't play for Bob Knight. I don't know Bob Knight in that level, yeah. but but he wouldn't say it probably. But I would think deep down he had to walk away and think to himself, "That's the kind of tenacity I need." Well, it it might have been. It might have been, especially if I were averaging, I don't know, double digits um, points. Um, you know, not spend a whole career in foul trouble and. You know, could could dunk, which I I couldn't. So it, it's kind of hard. look. I'll take that from AJ Guy, and I'll take that from Luke Recker or Kirk Haston. But you know, five you, you average three points a game. You're shooting twenty five percent from three, and it's it's hard to take that from 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 you. Right. <laughs> you like he didn't say that. I just you know, looking back, it's. Um, 
I don't know. He it, it, whether Coach Knight was responsible for winning or losing the game. I'm not sure. I had any say. If you oh, yeah. were Dane Fipe is our guest. If you, and I know this might be a difficult question because you were on the Indiana staff and had Trace Jackson Davis. But yesterday, when Kevin Willard came out with his comments before the game, saying that he thinks Trace Jackson Davis is the best player in college basketball, and then kind of in almost like his subconscious, he's like, "I think he's, he might be better than Edie." It, yeah. it probably is one and one a. I realize, but from a coaching standpoint, from an opposition standpoint. Trace Jackson Davis, Zach Eady. I'm not going to ask you, Dane Fife, which is the better player. Yeah. Which is yeah. the harder matchup? Well, I think just by sheer size, um, you know, we always say, it, it, you know, in recruiting, if somebody's, you know, tall, they at, at, at worst, they can, you know, if they have no athleticism, if they have, you know, if they don't, if they can't run or take, they can always stand there and put their hand up and be tall in the game of basketball. And I, and, um, Zach Eady being seven, four, um, is the harder matchup, uh, simply because of size, but it doesn't end there. I think that Zach Eady is, is an incredible player. I mean, that what he's done to put himself in this position, um, is it, it's not necessarily remarkable because you expect that from a, from Matt Painter and his staff, but it nonetheless, um, hasn't just put Zach Eady in the running for the top player in the country, but Purdue, the number of, you know, top team in the country, you know, all that said, Trace Jackson Davis, I will say this the other day, is, was, was my one of my favorite players to coach just because he wanted, he just, he really wants to get better. He wants to improve. He wants to be a good player. And, he, and most importantly, he wants to win. And he, uh, just so proud of Trace and what he's done. And I'm not giving myself any credit, but one of the complaints I would constantly gripe to Trace about or constantly talk to Trace about last year was you have to rebound. You have to rebound more. You have to get into double digits. You know, Coach Izzo back in the day promised Draymond that if he could average a double-double and it meant getting 10 rebounds a game, he'd be in the NBA. And he did the same thing with Xavier Tillman. And... Ironically, they're both in the NBA. Xavier's about to get his second contract. And I think that's no different for Trace because rebounding translates. Rebound translates at any level. If Query averages, uh, you know, 10 rebounds in, in the 50 and 50 and over rec league, then he can average 10 rebounds when he bumps up to the 70 and over rec league. And, and I, I'm a know, rookie in the 50. Hey. I'm I'm so young in the 50 and over league because I'm just 50 that I'm still dumb enough to yell at my coach about losing games when I average three points a game and shoot 25% from the floor. <laughs> right? I'm the freshman and of the... And f- blame the loss on the coach. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm the freshman of the 50 league, right? Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, guys. That was a lot of talk. And ask some questions. That uh, was that was a lot. Terrific insight. I'm going to tap into that a little bit more here. Jane, uh, Dane Five is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Dane, let's say Matt Painter calls you up tomorrow and says, Dane, uh, knowing 
our personnel here at Purdue, how do you think we should defend Trace Jackson Davis? How would you answer that? Well, I think, um, you know, I think they, they do have a unique case with, with Dak Eady, uh, just being so big, um, you know, pushing, what is he, two, around 285, and, and as we talked about, 7'4", uh, they do have some, some flexibility, whether it's by front or, you know, play behind, post-double, or three-quarter, where you try to deny it all the way generally to make them, you know, to limit the, um, the options. You know, you guys can envision kind of a three-quarter um, defend, but um, what Purdue does, and they do it well, and they practice it, they're known for it, is, is they're going to double. And they're generally going to allow Trace to catch it, not with ease, but they're going to allow him to catch it, and they're going to double from from the high side, and, and they attack. They attack generally uh, with their opposite big. So it, it'll, be, it'll be Gillis. It will be, um, oh, the, how did I forget? Caleb the first. Caleb first. Um, and, or it would be Kaufman, Wren, Gardner, and they're, they're going to, they, they may mix it up, but I would expect a double. And that's, at this point, the best way, the most effective way. But Trace, the way Trace is playing, I, I don't, I don't see it as a, you know, a major issue for him at all. You know, be it, uh, busting up the double team and driving around or driving through it or making the kick out. Trace has just really worked to get himself in a in a situation where he is, you know, he and Edie both are, are probably neck and neck for the top player in the country right now. And then vice versa. Um, you're Mike Woodson. You putting Trace on him. You doubling with Trace Thompson. You know, Trace got into that early foul trouble last year in the meeting down there in Bloomington, as I'm sure you remember, but how would you handle it from an Indiana standpoint in Garden Eady? Well, the way we did it last year and the way we did it at Michigan State, and I'm surprised, I, I just I haven't seen it done very well um, this year. And But when when uh, when Purdue had Haas, um, Isaac, Isaac Haas, was his name Isaac Haas? Yeah, Correct. that's right. Yep. Uh-huh. You know, he's 7'2", 300, and essentially what we would do is we would get – kind of directly behind him and move him out okay before he'd catch so when when you get down the floor as the defender you you first of all you got to beat him down the floor you have to let him you know you don't let him get set up you try to get him set up as far out away from the basket as possible before he catches it and then you just kind of you put your forearm right in the small middle of his back and then you know you kind of your leg underneath him and you try to root these big guys out as far away from the basket as possible. And essentially what you're saying is, I'm going to let you catch the ball. Your your teammates are going to have that ball, and they're going to see your big butt wide open. But the issue is, is you're going to be a step farther out than you're used to. So when you have to catch it and put it on the floor, now the guys that, that want to come in and – Swipe and dig the guys on the perimeter, the defenders on the perimeter. You're 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 closer to them, and so it's easier to uh, dig on the basketball to to reach in and steal it. And you have to work as a big man a lot harder to get to your sweet spot. You know, in, in Zach Eady's case, it's the jump hook. It's the right 
right hand over his left shoulder, turn and jump hook. But, you know, that's what teams would do to Trace last year. I, I thought it, they did that to Trace Jackson Davis last night. Exactly that, Dane, right? Like, he... It's so weird to say that an 18.20 rebound performance was an off night for Jackson Davis. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that he was only able to get 13 shots off, I thought Maryland kind of pushed him out of his comfort zone and he wasn't on the low block and they got him like 10 feet out and they let him get the ball there. But but then you could tell he just he, he didn't he wasn't able to turn and face and so yeah that's the first time in a long time I've seen Trace Jackson Davis look uncomfortable. Am I off base in yeah. that assessment? No, you're not. And and Trace's game. If you, if you remember, if you go back to like a team Illinois last year when they have Coburn, okay, they would run two plays for him a half essentially two plays where they'd give him the ball on the block. The Illinois would come down. All right, we're getting Kofi the ball on the block this play. So we're going to run a cross screen. We're going to run something. So two plays per half. The rest of their offense involved Kofi starting out, setting a screen, setting multiple screens, and working his way in. And that's the best way because now you keep everybody involved. And I think for years the Indiana team has tended to, um, with Trace there, has tended to, Look, just, all right, Trace, here we go. Get down in the post. We're going to throw you the ball. And as a player, I know I felt this when I played, when we had Kirk Haston. When you catch that ball with 26 seconds on the shot clock and see Kirk Haston's big butt wide open in the post, you feel obligated to throw it. And I think what Illinois did well last year is, I would say, probably 80% of their offense involved Kofi Coburn uh, starting out and working his way in. And it keeps everybody involved. It keeps good flow. And I think that's where Trace is at his best. But you're right, Jake. Maryland did an excellent job. I saw a lot more of that last year where they would do the job on Trace. Now, I give it's changed twofold. I think, you know, teams are a lot different in the makeup of their personnel, but also Trace has gotten better. I also thought, Dane, and I want you to tell me if, if if this is inaccurate, and I realize that your job as a college coach is to make players great college basketball players. It is not necessarily to develop them as NBA players, although one kind of goes with the other. But yeah. to, to me, last night was the first chance that, that, that I thought to myself – and I think Trace Jackson Davis is a wonderful talent. I, I don't want it to, but when people talk about his NBA prospects, I thought last night it illuminated a little bit the areas of his game that are missing in terms of NBA level style of play. In other words, you get him yeah. away from the block, he didn't have the lateral quickness or the pull up off the dribble to, no, to separate no. himself. And that's the difference no. at the next level. Yeah. Well, if, if you're Trace, look, you don't need to, nobody makes you do it. Um, so why go out and work on something maybe that you're not comfortable with? Um, and I'm talking about in-game. Uh, and so, you know, he's is he better than Oscar Sheba? Let me ask you that. So he's averaging how many rebounds a game in the last – is he better than Sheba? I, I, I would take Trace over him. Yeah. 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 And, and like I said, guys, rebounding translates. You know, like Jake Query, Query's going to average – 10 rebounds a game in the 15 over a league. Then he, when he grabs his false ID, his fake ID, and goes to the 70 and older basketball, he's going to average 10 rebounds. And maybe 11. And 
it's the same with Trace. You know, when he goes to the to the NBA, he's going to be able to rebound. And there's a, look at the league. I, I just I think there's way too much made about Trace. What Trace can't do, because what he can do is one. He's an he's an incredible athlete. Um, he can fly. He doesn't get tired very often. He doesn't foul. He knows how to defend without fouling. And he can rebound. I mean, what are they? Honestly, it's it's to me, it's another case of like a Draymond Green where he gets drafted second round and he's a Hall of Famer. You know, Xavier Tillman gets drafted second round and he's he's pretty much starting for the Grizzlies his first and second years. And he's been hurt now, but to me, it's you're getting a guy that Trace doesn't cause problems. He works his butt off. He'll do whatever you ask him if you just ask him. Um, and then he'll he'll um, bring bring what he's what he's what he's what he brings. He's consistent. I mean, now that he's rebounding, guys, uh, it's going to be another case if they if he goes second round. It's going to be another case of well. If he goes second round, does he contemplate coming back just because of NIL alone in Indiana? And that's not a bad thing, but I'm saying, does he say, you know what, I'll go one more year of this? Well, <laughs> essentially, he'll have a tough decision to make. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see it. I don't get it. Um, well, maybe that's why I'm looking at the classifieds, fellas. I, by um, the way, I think you're selling yourself short. I think you had an extra win against Purdue. Is that five and two? I'm I'm thinking five and two. You said you had only one. It looks like you had two games in 2001 against him. Okay, one by 16 so and one it. by 11. You guys won by a lot late in your career against him. Well, they had a lot of injuries. They I know that they had a ton of injuries, and that was right at the end of Coach Katie's career. I think Rodney Smith didn't play, and they had the guitar player John Allison. You know, he, I, I don't think he was healthy. Um, Okay, five and two. You know, you yeah, to, I'm just helping the resume for yeah, when Notre you need Dame to, calls. You need you to update me. these stats for your resume, right? You know, hey, keep keep gassing me up, fellas. I, keep going, keep going, Jake. I've got a call. With, I got a call Jake. with Swarbrick later today about this. <laughs> Are you taking the Notre Dame job? Yes, I am. I am. Okay. Are uh, you? <laughs> Are you looking to what get back into coaching? Am I getting back into coaching? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to. I honestly would. I, you know, it's. I know that was supposed to be a yes or no answer, but um, I just think that uh, people ask me like, "What you miss?" Like, yes, gosh, dog, I miss it. I miss the. I miss you know games like Saturday. I miss. Um, I miss. I miss recruiting. I miss being able to like. Uh, you know, kind of learn about a family and learn about a, a player, a kid, and I, I miss that that element of it. I miss the normal things of you know hanging out with the guys. But I just, nonetheless, uh, I'm okay with with uh, being able to do TV. Looking at some of that, um, I, gosh, I know guys. America couldn't go a year without this face, right? Sure. But, sure. <laughs> you know, as a competitor, though, I mean, and be honest here, Dane, as a competitor, how much of the way your last coaching tenure ended 
fuels you to get the comeback. Does that make sense? That is that's a heck of a question, man, because it's been going on it's been going my mind is has gone a million different directions. You know, part of it's well maybe I could you know, come back here someday and and do 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 good things. And then it goes to the other op, other end of the spectrum. Well, you know what? You know, and this is just human nature. Maybe uh, yeah, I'd go somewhere else and just make it my life's goal to kick their butt right every year, right? <laughs> or just to show in general, like, hey, you know what? Like, I can like, I, I am okay. I am pretty good at this. You know what I mean? Like to just yeah. kind of prove it in general, yeah. right? Well, the other, yeah, yeah, and that's right. That's right. I don't know if I, I don't know if that, that might be, I haven't really thought about that one. <laughs> Dame. It, it honestly, um, I've seen, and this is going to sound corny, but I don't care. Um, what I learned at Michigan State, and what, I guess what, what, what you get into coaching for, um, without knowing it is just the ability to help people, the ability to teach young people, you know, and not much different than, than your kids is you teach them the things that, you know, maybe you should have worked on, but also learning different ways to help them. There's that fulfillment that, um, it is powerful, man. And I'm sure you guys, your own worlds have experienced it. Um, Jake, uh, how many kids you got, Jake? I have none, brother. Kevin? Yeah, I got uh, I got two. Okay. Yeah, Jake, you're out of this conversation. But <laughs> and Kevin, now the boy got starts. Fulfillment to see your success, even you know, and to deal with your failures of your own children. I mean, that's that's really what players become. They become. They it feels like your your kids. You treat them like your kids. You want their success. You you as a coach, you, you feel their pain. You feel their failures and you hate that they hurt and you want to help them. And that's the fulfilling part, essentially, you know, money's money can be good, but money, look, the pressure someone puts on themselves, it doesn't matter. Money is just money in that, in that sense. Uh, Dane, before we let you go, greatly appreciate your time and your handling of this boycott here on this Wednesday right. morning. Yeah. It's um, been tough. It's been tough. <laughs> who wins Saturday at four o'clock inside of assembly hall? Well, uh, it's a tough one, um, but I I think that um, Purdue, you know, they've got to play Penn State tonight. But I think Purdue just is, is clicking on all cylinders, and and, and IU uh, they really have to they're piecemeal right now with some of their injuries. Um, but I'm going to go with a I'm going to go with a tie. Um, it's going to end in a tie. Gee, I, uh, boy, if you get back into coaching, I hope the team you coaches uh, plays a little less soft than that answer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Boilers. I'm going to go with the Boilers in an extremely tight one, just because Purdue's totally healthy, safe for tonight, and they're just they're they're playing well. They're kind their arrows kind of pointing up. Although what some you know this Maryland game this Maryland loss could help Indiana keep them motivated, but I would have said that we would have had a hard time beating them last year, and we would have if Big Shot Rob didn't show up at IU, and that was uh, 
because we weren't playing well at that time. But I'm going to go with Purdue by um, a uh, tenth of a point. 79.1 to 79. Yeah. Purdue wins. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yep. We'll lock it in. I don't know the scoreboard. We saw the scoreboard break against Ohio State. I don't know if we can go decimal points on that one for the old score. Uh, Dane, in all seriousness, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, guys. Awesome. Thank you. 